G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today we're back with Bryce Holdaway where we're talking about his armchair guide to property investing success. And in this episode, this is the juicier part. Part one, we laid some good foundations. We spoke about money management and why investors get stuck and we went into Bryce's journey. In part two today, we're going through some of the models and frameworks that makes investors successful and we're also going to be going through the age-old question of how to decide where to focus either on cash flow or on capital growth and Bryce's also got some great models and ways of thinking about making this decision. So I'm excited to have you listen to this part two. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. So you've also got some other really great models in the book. And of course, we don't have time to go through them all and people can grab the book and you know, <laughs> spend many, many hours going through those. But tell us about the five-step process, I guess, you go through with clients to arrive at the right properties because anyone can use that for themselves. Yeah. So we think that investing in property is a process, not an event, and most people treat it like an event. So what yeah. I mean by that is someone says, I want to, or we have the great Australian barbecue topic where someone says, you should buy an investment property. What do they do first? Hmm. They go straight to realestate.com.au or they go to domain.com or whatever their portal of choice is and start looking at property. And it's like, ah, no, that's step four. There's three steps prior to that. So the first step is to clarify. And that's essentially doing a little bit of what we just talked about. Let's take a snapshot of where you actually are right now. What are your assets? What are your liabilities? How much equity do you have? What's your income? What are your expenses? How much surplus do you have? That's really, really important that we know that because that's actually going to form a decision around what we're actually buying and what you're actually doing this for. The second step is to evaluate. So now that we know where you're at currently, we've got to be able to put some, some thought into where we want to go. So am I 30 years of age? Am I 40 or am I 60? What level of risk profile do I have? Am I someone who at 30 is willing to bet the farm or someone who's 57 who's thinking, I've got no chance to return if I stuff it up, right? So mm. we, need to, we need to be evaluating you based on your own unique individual circumstances to see what you should do. This is, this is the biggest criticism I had of the property investment space back in 2016 when we, bought, uh, when we wrote the book, Jared, is everyone just said, Definitely. you've got an income, why don't you come and buy this property over here on a shiny brochure? And it just wasn't taking into account everyone's unique circumstances. So the third step is to plan. So clearly, if you go to any of those offices in Perth where they have Woodside or any of those big mining companies, I promise you not a single one of those companies is opening a new mine and planning a new project without having a, a fully costed plan. They know what the, the trucks are going to cost. They know what the diggers are going to cost. They know what the revenues. They have a very, very no detailed doubt. plan of what's going to happen. Well, why would we do it any different? Mm-hmm. Why, why would why would we do the back of a napkin? So we need to think about, do I want to renovate? Some people plan for buying their TV more than they do their, uh, plan their wedding, plan their holiday, so. all that sort of stuff, but they don't do that. So, But we need, we need to plan 
the things that happen, Jared, as you know, we don't buy investment properties in a little vacuum in isolation, not thinking about anything else. We've got to send the kids to public or private school. We've got to upgrade the car every 10 years. We've had this dream reno for this kitchen we've wanted to do for so long. My kids are five years away from getting married. I'm probably going to have to chip something of that in. Hey, I'm, I want to take a sabbatical in two years' time and take a whole year off. Like stuff that happens in real life, we need a plan for it. So it's not just it's not just saying, hey, what are we crunching the numbers on for the investment property? That's actually relatively straightforward. It's yeah. actually looking around the corner to see what my life is like so I can actually design a life that I want to be a part of as well as plan for the future to self-fund, right? So step number three is the plan. Step number four is the implement. This is the doing. This is the bit where everyone starts. This is the realestate.com. This is the bit where you go and look at properties. This is where you go and try and buy something. And there's a whole topic in that. And then step number five is review. I think it's best described that when they launch a rocket to go to the moon, it's on track about 3% of the time. And then 97% of its time, little corrections are being made all the way to get to the destination. So if they left that rocket untouched, it wouldn't end up where they need it to be. And I make the sort of analogy from Perth is if I set sail from Fremantle Harbour there and I'm headed to South Africa, but I'm out by a couple of degrees, I'll probably end up at the top of Africa once I get to my destination. So we need to make these little these little adjustments along the way to make sure that we are still on track to where we are heading. And so that's why the review is really important because stuff happens, life happens. Mate, the best of intentions, we do overspend or we might underspend or we might get a pay rise that we weren't planning for. There's stuff that happens. And so you're just continually repeating that cycle of clarifying, evaluating, planning, implementing, and then managing. Awesome. Yeah, it just being an engineer in my past life, and we also have a lot of uh, clients as engineers, I, I love systems, love processes, so that's probably why I love your book so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, that's how my mind works. Is I've just got this one big mental mind map, drives my wife mad because I mind map everything, but it just I need to know very quickly how quickly can I get to 30,000 feet to understand what I'm doing. Well, if you have those five five steps, that'll help you. By the way, it's the five same five steps you do if you go to the doctor, step into the doctor's office, number one, clarify. What's going on for you? Number two is evaluate. Let me think about you know your age, your weight profile. Number three, okay, here's my plan. This is what I need you to do. Number four is implement. Okay, go home and do it. Number five, I'll see you in two weeks' time and we'll review and see what happened. Same deal if I go to the doctor that's buying an investment property, but most people don't do it. Mm, good one. And when it comes to the step four of your implementation, you guys have got a a buyer's decision quadrant that I found really great as well. So take us through a bit on how that works and how it can help people. I spent most of my professional life helping investors buy properties as a buyer's agent, but on location, 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 Australia, the television show I did on Foxtel and Escape from the City, it was for people who were buying it for their own home, so owner-occupiers. And what we do know is that at any point there is, we are going to have to bring up the C word. We will have to compromise at some point. And if you know in advance what you're going to compromise on, it helps a lot. So, so I usually say to folks, you- Especially the, not in those moments when we're in- uh, Heightened emotions. High emotions. How can you decide what's important then? Bang on. Because location might be really important. And then you take them to a, a spot that is well out of their dream location- 
but there's an emotional response to a character home oh, that, things, that, yeah. that one person just falls in love with and then they forget, they throw everything out the window. And yeah. then it's not until later that you sort of digest it. So the, the bias decision quadrant is just essentially saying there are four areas that you will compromise on. 99 out of 100 buyers will compromise on one of these four areas. Hmm. And the one out of 100 is someone who's won the lotto and they can just yeah. throw, throw money at the problem, right? First one is price. Second one is location. Third one is size of the land. And fourth one is quality of the dwelling. So typically price is the least flexible for most people because most of us got a mortgage and it's a, yeah. it's a derivative of our income and our how comfortable we are. So that's Based generally budget and often yeah, those, you know. Most of us don't have an inheritance that we can draw on or a lotto win that we can draw on. So that is usually the least flexible when it comes to compromising. So the next spot is location, right? So they call it location, location, location for a reason, but some people need to have some flex on that if they want to serve the other three. Then the third one is the size of the land, right? So you may, if your price is fixed and your location is fixed, you may have to compromise on the land size. You might want to live in Mount Hawthorne, for example, and you want a house, but you know better than me, Jared, that houses in Mount Hawthorne are pretty expensive. But yeah. if I don't want to budge from Mount Hawthorne and I've got a fixed budget, I've got to think, well, maybe I need to buy a townhouse or a unit or an apartment. So the, the land size is actually getting smaller and smaller to allow me to serve the top two quadrants. Quadrant one is price, quadrant two is location. I've got to compromise on the land. Or let's say I go to Mount Hawthorne and I can't budge on price, number one. I can't budge on location because I absolutely need to live in Mount Hawthorne and I will only buy a house. I will not, I will not buy a townhouse or anything smaller. It must be a house. Well, then you go to quadrant number four, which is the quality of the dwelling. And you might want to live in one of those beautiful period homes in Mount Hawthorne, but you can't afford it. You won't move location and you won't budge on the size of the land. So instead, you get an old renovator or you get a non-period home. Yeah. Something that is just- it Might be a 1980 or 1970 built, but it's pretty standard. Standard stuff, right? That doesn't have that emotional appeal, but you could turn it into something pretty special because you're a chippy or you're a painter or you've got some form of trade where you can actually yeah. add value. So in Mount Hawthorne, price, not budget, not budging, uh, location, we're not budging. I definitely want some land. Well, then we will compromise on the quality of the dwelling or any combination of those four yeah. to arrive at it. So if you know in advance what it is. I usually say if there's two or more people involved in a decision, have that conversation before you come and see me on a television show because if, if you start arguing in front of each other, the producers start rubbing their hands together Every and they go, this makes for <laughs> amazing <laughs> television. Yeah, this makes it the best TV. <laughs> it, it absolutely does. So, yeah, that's the bias decision quadrant. Excellent. Now, I wish I um, overlaid that. I recorded an episode of you back on my ultimate kind of criteria for top performing properties. And I've chatted to a few people since saying, Jared, you know, that's all well and good if you have the money or you can get into those suburbs. But where I was going to is like some of these, you can choose what to compromise. Like you're never going to be able to overlay this criteria and achieve everything, but some things are more important than others, you know, like being next to the water treatment plant. You don't want to compromise that 
regardless of any of the above. <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely aspects that are more important than others, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. And your engineering mind loves that, right? Because then you go, well, yeah. it's just it's just four pieces of the chessboard that I've got to move. Which one am I going to move? And um, Simplify. Makes it simple. Yeah. So I had to ask you this question because there's this kind of ongoing debate that was always raging in the forums and the Facebook groups and that's and it can be confusing for investors. So should someone focus on cash flow or focus on capital growth and where does one even start when deciding between the two and is it one or the other? I may disappoint you, but it's both. <laughs> and all, all things being equal, chase growth first. But not, not everyone can do that. Some people yep. just do not have the resource. They might not have equity in their home. They might have a low income, but they just are as determined as you and me to self-fund yep. their retirement. So why should they be wrong if they chase income? So I'm not going to make them wrong. All I'm going to say is all things being equal, you want to chase growth first because my plan is really simple. I want you to create a life that you don't want to escape from. And the way that you do that is you create a passive income that means you no longer have to trade your time for money. That's that's the simple plan, right? And if that's the simple plan and we agree, you know, you've quoted the book says $2,000 a week, but what if it's a thousand bucks a week? What if it's 3,000, right? We've got to actually know what it is that we're going towards. So let's just call it 2,000 and then reverse engineer what that looks like. Now, it's pretty simple. Usually the first two properties require growth because we need the asset base to continue to grow at a level that allows us to fund the last three. So the first two are growth. We then buy a third asset, and we're talking textbook here and everyone's different, right? Yeah. But just to get the concept, the third property would be a balanced asset, which means we drop a little bit on our growth expectation, but we we lift our yield expectation. So it's getting a bit further out from the, from the main hub. So it's not going to be as in high demand, but we are starting to attract a rental base who might not be able to afford, so they pay a little bit more rent, and so we find the equilibrium. And the reason we do that is because we actually want to retire out the debt on the portfolio in total if we can. Because the last two properties, you want them to be income properties. Because if they're doing the heavy lifting for income and the first two are doing heavy lifting for the growth and the one in the middle is sort of balancing it out, ideally, you will grow your asset base high enough that you can get the, the, the passive income you want and you'll have enough income in the portfolio to pay it off. So if you think about it, if you have outside of the family home, $2.5 million worth of income-producing assets fully paid off today, paying you 4% yield, that's hundred grand, right? That's your passive yeah. income of $2,000 a week. It's just under $2,000 a week. So that's the goal. So I'm very, very clear on what we're, that what we're trying to do in the first place because remember, it's a process, not an event. And then we just build assets to do it, to fulfill that. Now, that's textbook. So the reason I say both is because some people just can't do that, mate. Like yeah. some people might get into the game like you and I did young, right? I bought my first investment property in 1999. I was 24, yeah. but I didn't have much equity. I didn't yeah. at all. I was and just put it this way. The properties that I bought then and the properties that I'm buying now are completely different. Completely what I did different. Then, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I relate to people on all parts of their journey and I don't just say go out and buy something blue chip because how does someone even get to that point? Yeah, so, and 
And it's harder to buy blue chip now, right? If you go back to, I'm at 353 episodes on the podcast. Back in the first 20, I was, you know, back when we we started it back in 2016, only buy close to the capital cities, you know, make sure you get his, mate, the, the landscape's changed so much since yeah. then that you, it's very hard for people to buy in the capital cities. We've just had this enormous boom all across the country. So people will need to flex and pivot and do the best that they can with what they've got. So I wouldn't start with income first if I had the opportunity to chase growth first. But if I didn't have the opportunity to chase growth first, I would chase income first. And hopefully that answers your question because all things being equal, capital growth is what you get out of the market and rent is what keeps you in the market. But sometimes sometimes you have to be flexible based on your Mm. circumstances. I like the sequencing of how you laid out those five as well because early on you're trying to grow your asset base and you don't necessarily need your income to, to be replaced yet. Correct. The way I see it. And you're using the tax system to help fund it. Exactly. While you've got that higher income to to use. And then later, as you get closer to retirement or or that age where you want to have financial security, as in the choice to retire, then you start shifting and moving more towards the income focus. And and that's a nice sequence to things. Just makes perfect sense. And I, I guess one of the other things is know your number. So mm. do you know how we were talking about cash flow before? Because uh, someone says, well, he's talking about $2,000 a week. How do I know what my number is? I, I earn X amount of dollars now, but when I retire, I actually want to live on more than I have now. And that's where I challenge people to really unpack what that means. Because yeah, you, so you've got four, four general, and your engineering mind will love this. So you've got four general categories of expenses in your life. First category is bills, and spending, uh, sorry, bill, bills and payments, right? So stuff that there's no discretionary spend on at all. That's yeah. the utilities and stuff just to get you through life. The next is discretionary spend. The third category is loan payments, typically your mortgage, but quite often there'll be a car payment and maybe a boat payment or whatever. And then the final category is investment expenses. And for a lot of people, they just don't have that category. Now, the important thing to remember is is if you know how much you spend on your bills and payments yeah. and how much you spend on your discretionary spend, let's say that comes to $70,000. If you were to get $70,000 passive income in retirement, you'd live on exactly what you are now, even though your mm. income's higher. Because typically by the time you retire, you've paid off your mortgage. That's the goal, right? And you've paid off your car and you've paid off your boat and you've paid off that holiday that you put on a credit card, all that sort of stuff. So you've got no loan payments left. Mm. And if you've set up your your investment property correctly, it's now self-funding where the rent covers all of the expenses in the property. Yeah. And on top, it's providing you with a thousand bucks a week or two thousand bucks a week, whichever you do. So and you're likely to have some super and you know super, absolutely the other assets, you know. Correct. So you have your home paid off. You'll have an investment property portfolio that you've got self-funded with a passive income and you've got super and all the other assets you've talked about. So therefore, people can actually be often surprised at how much they how no, actually how little, how little they need, they need yeah. to fund a lifestyle that they don't want to escape from that's actually less than what they're earning now. And um, once you get your head around that, that's why you start to take some of the mystery out of this. That's why I'm saying three to five investment yeah. properties is all you need. Don't get seduced by the magazines that say do 10 properties in five minutes and I flip them all 
all sideways. If you can create value through property, trust me, I'm I'm pro that. But for the majority of people, they don't have the appetite for it. So three to five investment properties over a career that you methodically, with an engineering mind, start to, to work down the debt so that you're left with knowing exactly how to spend your money, what you spend it on, and you've eliminated the other expenses. Mate, it's, it's, it's so incredibly straightforward. The only way that people get in this fall down is between the ears because we just got a whole bunch of beliefs that get in the way. Yeah. And I've certainly had to rewire a lot of mine and like you, you notice your patterns to how you make decisions and, you know, you've just got to analyse, is this still serving me? So... Start by having a chat with your parents and yeah, ask them about what was money like over the dinner table for them, and you'll start to start to see. They'll start saying stuff like "money didn't grow on trees." Oh, that was our family's one. So yeah, and money is dirty, and mm. money is hard to come by. Yes, and- that's my other classic of you have to work really, really hard for money. And so I'm kind of, despite having the money now, I I keep working hard because it's so ingrained in me. Yeah. But I mean, this is, I, I shouldn't talk about my, my problems at the other end of the spectrum, but you, you always have challenges throughout the whole journey, right? So, well, you've, you've, you've summed it up beautifully, Jared. You, you, you run a business, you're in a position where you've, you've leveraged your time to the point where you get paid for the energy and effort that you put into the business, but you also get paid an income from the business. Yep. And if you don't get your mindset um, right around that, poof. Easy calm, easy go is another one. So, <laughs> yeah. so there are there are some core fundamental beliefs that we have around money that is important. And if you imagine a tree, you'll like this. If you imagine a tree, and the root system is your beliefs, your the the trunk is your uh, internal attitude, the soil is your external influences, and then no the problem. branches and the trees are the knowledge and action. And what happens is when we water the tree. We usually just go and water at the base and the roots. So we water the roots because it doesn't make sense for us to stand with the hose and just point it to the top of the tree and water the leaves and the branches at the top. But in life, that's exactly what we do. We actually do the knowledge and the action. We read, go and read my book. It'll tell you exactly how to do it. And, and then what's, and, why, why is someone still being held back? Why, do, mate, I've built that many plans for clients where they derail three years later, five years later, mm. seven years later. And I go, how did that even happen? It's because the soil was the external influences. They might not be hanging out with the right people or the internal belief, the trunk wasn't strong enough. They were a bit too flexible or what's really going on. You think about an oak tree, how far the root system goes on yeah. an oak tree. If you do not put energy, time and effort into those roots, i.e. your internal beliefs, the tree falls over, it dies. You, you don't water the branches and the and the leaves. You water the roots. But in our own life, Jared, we we tend to we tend to water the branches and the leaves. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I love I love all your metaphors, all your frameworks, and all your models. So I know we could chat forever, but thank you so much for making the time today. Because I know how busy you are as well, and how many clients you're helping. So I'm sure our listeners will have got a lot of benefit. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Jared. Hopefully, I can convince you to come back on sometime in the future, and we'll dig a bit deeper. So. Mate, we're Perth boys. We look after we each other. To. I'd love to come. I'd love to come <laughs> back on. But yeah, thanks for having me on, Jared. Awesome, mate. And if our listeners want help with their investing, especially on the east coast of Australia, where should they go? I'm, 
uh, your businesses empower wealth. Business is called Empower Wealth, but um, I reckon they should go and because uh, your listeners probably enjoy podcasts, so I reckon yep. if they go to thepropertycouch.com.au, they can go and check out some of the episodes we have on the podcast there. I'm a regular and, um, listener there too, so it keeps me up on things. <laughs> Terrific. My daily. <laughs> That's the best place to go, I reckon. Thanks for your time, Bryce. Cheers. Thanks, mate.